Hello and welcome to the Essendon People Podcast, an unofficial Essendon Football Club supporter podcast. Hosted by Brendan and Mark, Essendon People is a podcast for those who live and breathe Aussie rules and the Mighty Bombers. From the casual fan to the hardcore supporter, if you have the red and black in your heart, then Essendon People is the podcast for you. Thank you for joining us. Let's Let's start start the pod. pod. Welcome to episode 68 of the Essendon People podcast, our round 21 review of the game against the Giants and our round 22 preview of the game coming up against the Power. So, Brendan, it was GWS 14-12-96 to Essendon 10-9-69. Pretty, pretty bad day of football, really, is the only way I can describe it. it. There's not a lot to have liked about that game and Lucky we're at the end of the year, that's all I can say, because we're getting these performances at the start of the year. We still had a long time to go, but at least now there's some light at the end of the tunnel. Oh, the, the only, there was only two parts that I enjoyed about the game. Right? The first part was when it was over. <laughs> and the second part was, and this probably I enjoyed it, and then instantly had a pang of sadness. When they, would, when they one of the 75 times they cut the spike and hurting in the Coach's box, right? And it's just like, oh Jesus, what what could have been? What could be? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point, and I hadn't thought about that for this run sheet. But um, yeah, that that was a bit of a get, getting kicked while you're down, isn't it? It's uh, for an Essendon supporter. So we'll jump into it, try and get through this. Um, it was the first quarter, GWS three goals, five, 23, with the eight scoring shots to Essendon, six scoring shots, three goals, three, 21. So um, we trailed only by two points at quarter time, but it's just they got off to a good start and we were playing catch up from, from the, the first minute of the game. So um, although we only tried by two points, I thought we were probably fortunate. They wasted a few opportunities, um, you know, to have eight scoring shots in the first quarter. They had plenty of the ball. So um, probably for once, our conversion of 50% helped us uh, to, to, you know, stay in touch because they only went at 37%. Yes, yes. and But as, as you said, we did well at 50%, but that's still every second time you've stuffed it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Second quarter, exact same from both sides. Six scoring shots of Pete's for four goals, two twenty-six. So coming into the half, we're you know we're down by the the two points. Uh, essentially, a waste of a half of football, an hour of our lives we will never get back. Right, uh, it was just a pointless exercise. Really, um, got to the stage in the third quarter. It's like the game. This is where the game starts. Right. Really, there was nothing of value in that first quarter. I think we <laughs> no redeeming features. <laughs> and I remember seeing a stat on the. I guess we'll get into the stats soon, but just to give it, sum up a bit how the first half was, I remember seeing a stat with about. It felt like about ten minutes to go in the second quarter, so the majority of the quarter had gone by, and I think it said that Essendon had had like something like sixteen tackles or seventeen tackles or something for the entire half of football, and I just thought that's. You'd want to be seeing that that number as you're approaching quarter time, not half time. And then I, I think somehow we managed to put some pressure on in the last sort of five to ten minutes, and that's the only way that we ended up coming into half time only two points down. But that pretty much sums it up. It was low pressure, 
it was pretty bruise-free, loose, loose kind of play from us. There must be something up in the water there in Sydney there because we always seem to just decide not to tackle when we go up there. You know, it's like, it's just, yeah, dis- disappointing. Like you said, bruise-free, open football, didn't work defensively, you know. Blokes got an extra leg when the ball when they were hunting the ball, trying to get it forward there, but uh, didn't want to run hard the other way. And then when we did get go forward, we 50% of the time, we didn't, we didn't do anything with it. And before we move on to the second half, I think we kind of lost this game before it even started. Obviously, um, GWS had sort of the spotlight put on him after a pretty bad performance the week before, and McVeigh came out and sort of challenged the players for, for checking out early. Um, they obviously had a big week on the track. And then in his pre-game talk with the media, you know, he talked about wanting to throw the first punch and, and to um, have a real crack. So that was obvious that they were going to come out firing and they did that and they, they targeted a few of our players. They targeted Merritt, they targeted Jack Stringer. Even before the game, before the ball had bounced, they started roughing people up and grabbing jumpers and wrestling and stuff. And I think we failed to prepare because we didn't seem to understand that that was going to happen and that they were going to respond because we don't seem to respond. So we probably just assumed that no other team would. But if you're playing a side who backs up against the wall, you've got to be ready for that that kind of response and we didn't seem to prepare for that at all. I agree with you 100% on that, Mark, that because we don't do it, we expect everybody else to just be super mega nice guys like we are and just and just play fair football, whatever. But that's the type of things you learn, you know, in under-14s that <laughs> aside off a bad loss, you don't want to play them the next week because they're going to come out breathing fire. right? And it's just disappointing that, you know, we didn't, have anything to combat it, and then when they did come at us, we didn't we didn't fire up. Uh, we talk, we'll talk about merit later. How many times does this club in GWS have to target merit right before we stand up and do something about it? Uh, I I can't tell the amount of time. I think every time on this podcast we talked about a GWS game, right? We've talked about them targeting Zach Merritt, and it's it's obvious, and we never do anything about it, and you know, it's time to stop being the bullied and start being the bully, right? If you're going to target Zach Merritt, why don't we go out there and target Kelly or Whitfield or Caniglio or, you know, even target one of their so-called tough guys and put them, put them on their backside, you know? It's just frustrating. So I'll move into the second half now. So in that third quarter, it was GWS with four goals, two, 26, to Essendon, two goals, three, 15. Um they won the quarter by 11 points and went into the three-quarter time break with a, a lead of 13. Uh, I think during that quarter, it kind of ebbed and flowed. At one point, I think we actually hit the lead by a, a, maybe 10 points or 11 points ourselves. And then they sort of got a run on, a run of goals on and uh, and we just failed to stop them. And not for the first time that we've had a run of, you know, four or five goals in a row against us and had the inability to stop it. So all the all the good work that might maybe happen straight after halftime where we kicked a couple of goals ourselves and got ourselves in a good position, uh, they went on to kick probably the next four or five goals, I think it was. And this the third quarter, if, if you're just going to be purely analytical and stats-based, this is what happens when you can't kick in front of goal. You said there, Mark, six scoring shots to five, right? But they've gone at 66%. We've gone at 40%. And that's a big that's a big difference because then ended up that puts them two goals 
in front, and then all of a sudden we come to that fourth quarter. I think they're 13 points in front, so that means you all of a sudden you've got to kick three goals to win it instead of two or one, and that's what happens when you don't convert. And then the last quarter, yeah, I think it was pretty obvious, kind of gave up a little bit there. I think, you know, we just kind of didn't want to, didn't went up for a fight, just kind of let them have their have their way with us a little bit there. You know, six scoring shots to two. They kicked three, three, 21. We kicked one, one, seven. It just kind of looked like the boys just had had enough and, and, and wanted the game to end. Yeah, so we lost the game by 27 points. We'll move into some stats, which were pretty damning. So I'll just reel some off. Uh, the numbers speak for themselves here. GWS, 251 kicks to Essendon's 180. GWS, 115 handballs to Essendon's 140. So, again, we you know a kick-to-handball ratio wasn't correct, wasn't right. And then total disposals, GWS, 366 to Essendon, 320. So they possess the ball a lot more than us. Uh, in, when you start to break down those possessions, they went at it a lot harder than us as well. 126 contested possessions to 115. 233 uncontested to our 193. So they got it more in, in the contest. They got it more outside of the contest. And then when they did get it, they went at 75% efficiency, um, disposal efficiency to, to our 73.8, 74. So pretty even there on disposal efficiency. But... That won't help you if you don't have the ball as often as they do. So um, they absolutely smashed us in terms of possession, just just everywhere. Yeah, so we'll get into the, the good, bad, and ugly now, and we'll start with the good. And um, I think the real standout for for us on what was a, probably a bit of a dirty afternoon there was was Mac Welfy. Um, he's probably had a breakout year there, Mark, and I would say he's probably going to go, you know, top ten in the best and fairest, and probably going to win the most improved player. He had a great day. Uh, nine disposals, four marks, four goals, one. Uh, I thought a lot of the credit he's got this year, Mark, has been for his endeavour and his, you know, tackling pressure and how hard he works. And a lot of the things like, oh, we just he's that type of player, it's good, but we need someone who can kind of hit the scoreboard a little bit. And it was really good that he got rewarded for some effort and proved that he does have other strings to his bow. And it's good to see that each year he's played, he's got a little bit better and better. And now it looks like... He's been settled into this um, kind of permanent forward position. Hopefully he can grow and become, you know, even better player over the coming years. Yeah, we've mentioned it before that he was probably a little bit unfamiliar with some of the forward craft stuff, but he's he's done the hard work and he's learnt it and he's um, really, really grown in that position, as you said. So, yeah, hats off to Mac Welfie. Uh, another good here was return of Darcy Parrish off a bit of a bit of a nasty calf injury there. So uh, he came back in, gathered plenty of the ball, um, got got good amount of tackles as well, which we'll get into later. But um, yeah, return of Darcy Parrish back from that calf injury uh, was a good sign. Um, I was skeptical about rushing him back, whether or not we even play him again this year. But um, good to see that he got through the game unscathed. And then uh, the last we've got in the good category here is that there's just two games to get through by the fans. So <laughs> hang in there. And uh, before you know it, uh, we'll, we can back for the AFLW team who are coming in uh, with some momentum, unlike the men's team here. It's just it's falling apart. Uh, we're still almost at the start of the year in some respects. So we'll move into the bad. I'll let you take it for the top of the bad. Well, I think it was the... Uh... First 30 seconds of the game there when we conceded two goals. <laughs> right. And, you know, fair enough. The stringer won the, the free kick. Look, it's unlucky. I thought the GWS player went down pretty easily. But 
it was just an unnecessary thing to do at that moment. And that was all started because they wanted to fight the first, you know, throw the first punch, like you said, Mark, and they had a crack at them before the game, really rolled them up. And then it was just a brain fake. It would be interesting to know, too, how many times this year in games that we've been scored against in the first minute. It's it's definitely, I reckon, a handful, um, which is a lot when you break it down over, over the course of a year and how many minutes you play. Like, It's just such a bad way to start a game when you're... I, I get it. Sometimes it happens. It's a bit unlucky. You know, a side, you know, goes a bit all out at a centre clearance and, and it comes off and they score. But for it to happen that many times against us, you know, we used to bang on on this podcast about red time goals. I, I don't know what you call the time of goal when it's in the first minute instead of the last minute of the quarter, but it seems to be happening to us a lot as well, particularly in the very first quarter of the game. And it just doesn't set the... Uh, set the standard very good at the start of a game, so that's disappointing. Um, yeah. uh, and then we'll we'll move on to the other end of the crown. <laughs> and there's just a lack of movement out of the um out of the back line and just through the middle really. Um just not forward classic as always with us this year. Forwards no movement but this this week no run or drive and you know, we'll talk about guys who probably had, had down days in Hine and Redmond, but really it's not it's not always on them. That's our problem. It seems to be if they can target one of those guys, it really hurts us. And we can't afford to be a one- or two-man band in terms of how we move the ball. <laughs> so like Hine had 18 disposals, two marks, two tackles, five rebound 50s. And Redmond, 15 disposals, three marks, one tackle, four rebound 50s. So... Clearly down on their on their output, especially Redmond there, but others have got to step up. And you know, I'll I'll, I'll mention two guys here who are actually two quality players and leaders in, in Annie McGrath and Jordan Ridley. Like McGrath had thirteen, three marks, two tackles, and Ridley had sixteen disposals, six marks, seven rebound fifties. Like. As a senior players, and as you know, probably you would say two of our you know top half dozen players, you just need more. And it's been it's been a year of just need more. So I really hope you know over the summer those guys can have big pre seasons and really attack from the front. You know, potential that you know one of those guys might even be captain. So really need to give a physical presence and play play really well because both of those guys are capable of all Australian level football and we haven't got that out of them so far this year. Next, we'll move on to picking players that aren't fit. So we're going to highlight Archie Perkins and Will Snelling. And um, Perkins had the 10 disposals, five marks, two tackles. Snelling had 13 disposals, two marks, two tackles and two inside 50s. And uh, I mean, Although you'll say, oh, they got double figure stats, uh, some people might think it's it's the way that they're moving. And you know, Perkins hasn't been himself; he hasn't had that explosive pace, you know, that run off um, and link kind of play. And Snelling usually is running uh, to contest, harassing, tackling. He hasn't been doing any any of that. And to be honest, I haven't really been noticing him in the game. So I think both of these players are probably playing less than one hundred percent at the moment. And if that's the case, we shouldn't be playing them. We should be giving the opportunities to players who have done the hard yards and have got their bodies right and have, and have got the form coming in. So we've persisted for two or three weeks now with Perkins and Snelling and 
if they're not right to go, give them a rest, whether that's in the VFL or whether they don't play at all. Um, but give someone else a go who is 100%. We shouldn't be going out there with players who clearly aren't operating at their best. You can get away with it sometimes with players, and sometimes in a big game you do that. If, you know, we're going into a prelim and you know we're thinking about whether or not to play uh, Zach Merritt or not in the middle, then fair enough. But I don't think that that's what the case was against the 16th place side on the weekend playing interstate. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned GWS being the 16th place side, right? We've lost to GWS and West Coast, who both got a <laughs> bottom four, right? And we're a bottom four side ourselves. So it's just – but we've beaten Brisbane, who's a top four side, right? So it's just the inconsistencies throughout the year, through our performances, you know. Sydney as well we beat. So it's just – Frust- if there was a year- word to sum up the- our year, it's been frustrating. And another guy that's been frustrating, Mark, has been Jakey Stringer. Um, uh, he's just, yeah, I don't know. It was last week. It was kind of or feast, you know. He just dined upon North Melbourne, and this week he didn't. Twelve disposals, one marks, three behinds, three tackles. It just, I don't know. Selfish is not the right word there, Mark, but sometimes it's just when it comes off, it's great, and when it doesn't, he looks poor. And I don't know if it's one of those things, you don't want to take that out of his game because you lose the positives, you know? You you lose him charging in from 50 and kicking a banana against Sydney to seal it if you, you know, want to stop games like this. It's about bridging that gap, isn't it? This might not be the best comparison, but I'm going to use Jack Rewalt as a bit of a reference case. And, you know, early in his career, he was a good player, but was often talked about, you know, maybe sometimes not being the best team player. And he managed to change that, I think, largely for the most part in his game anyway and and became an even better player. So you'd be hoping that Jack Stringer could maybe do that. And, you know, there was examples on the weekend, but even over this, this course of him returning this year where he's been... You know, maybe trying to bite off a little bit more than he can chew with a few of the fend-offs and stuff that maybe have worked when he's been a bit more fitter or or, uh, or in a bit better form. So, um, yeah, maybe just bringing some of his teammates into the game is, uh, you know, another string he could add to his bow and, and go to another level. So, But at the moment, we're just seeing some large inconsistencies and the gap between his best and his worst is, is a lot wider than it has been sort of last year or so. Yeah. Um, and another bloke that needs... Um... <laughs> Improvement between his best and his work is uh, young Harry Jones there, Mark. Um, disappointing day, to say the least. Yeah, so we sort of highlighted Harry last week and, and we were hoping that he that he bounced back this week, but kind of the opposite happened. He, he didn't get a touch in the first quarter. Uh, towards the end of the second quarter, he got a free kick that was a bit of a lucky block free kick, sort of almost at the half-back line. The third quarter, again, didn't have any impact, no disposals. And in the last quarter, he went into that last quarter with sort of one kick and one tackle, I think, to his name. And it, it pretty much stayed like that for the most part and it looked like the team was going to finish until the last four minutes where he had a flurry of disposals, you could only describe it as. And uh, they weren't really much. It was only two effective disposals out of, out of uh, the five that he got for the day and one tackle and just... Failed to impose himself on the game. Didn't seem to run to the right spots. When he was defending and defending the zone, again, just seemed to be doing a lot of pointing and not really, you know, pressuring any players or cutting off. I know it's sometimes hard in that position, but it's the things that we've highlighted over the last few weeks and 
I know he's a young player and hasn't played a lot of games, but if you're out of form, I'm sorry, but you have to go out of the side because we've got other guys who, you know, have proven this year to to kind of do those little things, those effort things well. And that's something that Harry did really well last year and he needs to get back to that. So um, I'm all for playing the kids, but if he's so out of form that it's to his detriment, then maybe it's not worth it anymore, um, you know, this week and, and he needs a spell to go get some confidence. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of room for improvement there at the moment for young Harry. Yeah, and I think we've talked about the VFL stuff. I want to talk about the VFL again. Guys like Paddy Voss, guys like Kane Baldwin, they're contributing at VFL level. So it's, it's, it's got to be a time where you say, you know, yes, you want to get games into young players and you want to pick you want to pick guys that you've seen perform at the level, but you've got to have, you know, integrity in selection and pressure from below. And that's when we'll become a good side is when we've got, Guys underneath, you know, putting pressure on guys to keep their spots, and it's got to be you've got to perform, or you're in the twos. And you would think, you know, with the last two games to go for the year, uh, you know, it might be an opportunity to give, you know, those guys. I mentioned last week, I think it was maybe getting Paddy Voss just a taste of what it is to be an AFL footballer, uh, just so he has something to work to towards a big preseason. Because you have to kind of highlight it, don't you? Like if. if it... If a player has played the entire game and hasn't earned his own disposal until the last four minutes of the game, you've effectively played that game with 17 people on the ground at those times. It just makes it hard. You can't you can't have too many passengers in this sport. Well, everyone knows that. And, um, you know, we, we weren't playing for anything on the weekend, but you wanted to see Endeavour and people get involved. It's, you know, he had a stinker. That's what it is. You know, it was a bad game and, you know, it might bounce back. But, uh, but it's just a bit of a trend with the form and something that the club needs to help him address and something that he needs to address with the assistance of the club as well. Yeah, so we'll push through some more <laughs> stats things here and tackles. Mark, What it, it's been a frustrational year. You mentioned it earlier. Only 47 tackles for the game. Only one of those was inside 50. Uh, and we had only 26 one percenters. Uh, yeah, Poor, to say the least. Parrish and Langford are the only two players to get more than three tackles. We had four players with only two tackles, and we had 11 players with a single tackle. You know, and, you know, what do they say? The, the fish rots from the head. We go to the leaders. Dyson Heppel, the captain, one tackle. Zach Merritt, the vice captain, one tackle. Andy McGrath, the deputy captain, two tackles. You know, we've talked often on this podcast, Mark, that, you know, a little goal or aim should be every player gets one tackle a quarter, right? So four tackles a game, that's 88 across the side, across the four quarters. That's that's a good number. That shows the pressure. That shows this blue-collar side. This shows this forward-pressure game style we're looking to play. How can you be a forward-pressure game style if you one tackle inside 50? <laughs> What is that? Like, GWS had 16 tackles inside 50. It's just it's just disappointing. Again, what they state the game plan is and what they actually put out on the field doesn't match. And I think without having done any prior research, I'm going to be blazing to make the call that um, our good form this year over that sort of last, you know, four to six weeks or whatever it was, 
has directly correlated with an increase in tackle numbers. I feel like when we've had those pods after a win or even after just a good performance where we've matched the side, the tackle numbers have been up. Uh, and, you know, there's got to be something in that, that if you increase your pressure and you increase your tackle numbers, you'll naturally find yourself in games and, and closer to winning, either winning or closer to being able to win. So um, something that definitely needs some work. We'll move on to Mark. So we got absolutely slaughtered around the ground. GWS dominated possession and then controlled the game for the Marks. So we've already talked about how they had more possession, which in turn leads to more Marks around the ground. So we had 63 less Marks, which means that GWS had 63 more opportunities to to think about what their next move was and then to, to take a, an unimpeded kick to a loose player, which happened plenty of times. Um, 144 Marks to them to our 81 Contested marks, they had 16 to our weight, so double the amount of contested marks. And then marks inside 50, we both had 10, but um, around the ground, they just absolutely took us to town uh, in the air and controlled the play, and that gives you more time and gives you gives you more uh, opportunity to set up. And the two reasons why they have more marks is because we handball more than we kick hard, and also we don't put any tackle pressure on, so they're, it's... They're able to dispose the ball under no pressure and just kind of set the game up, take the ball out of our hands and just control the game. And I guess the third thing to add to that is, which is kind of on the second one, our defensive pressure is not good enough. So when someone does make a lead into space or block into space, we tend to stuff it up and either not go with them or not be smart enough to have manned up that person. So they end up just running onto an uncontested mark because we don't, we don't have the willpower, it seems like, at the moment to be able to pick everyone up around the ground for a full four quarters. Yes, and then, you know, we got beat in the contest, you know. Couldn't go with the big bodies of GWS, you know, your, your Tom Greens, Tim Tarantos, Stephen Caliglios, just in the guts there. Um, lost, the, lost the clearances uh, 30 to 36 uh, and especially stoppage clearages, which has been an issue for ours uh, across the years, has been 18 to 25, I guess. And that all starts because of the Ruckman there. We lost we lost the Ruck battle there. They played, what, two, two Ruckman, Proust and Briggs, uh, dominated Draper. I think it's pretty clear that Draper's young in his football career and he struggled when he's been the sole Ruckman. So just play another Ruckman, right, or, you know, I, I've to, we play Andy Phillips. We've talked about how he's got a big frame to do stuff. Play Nick Bryan as a tandem. Give him opportunity, right? If you're going to play Wright or Stewart or Jones, one of those has got to be a, a rough option, right? He can't do it on his own. He's got a proven track record of not being able to stand up under under the pressure of rucking against two players. And, and Bruce and Briggs, he's hardly playing against... Polly Farmer and Simon Madden, is he? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're going to trouble the uh, All-Australian selectors this year, but they, they definitely troubled us on the weekend. Uh, we'll move on to scoring. So we've sort of mentioned already that we went, you know, conversion was essentially 50%. But we couldn't get the ball forward either. We couldn't generate inside 50s. We had only 38 inside 50s for the game um, to their 53. I mean, 38 inside 50s for the game is fine if you're scoring every single time. You'll win by 200 points, but when you're only scoring half the time, um, generating scores from, from you know, 50% of your opportunities, it's not good enough. So um, 19 scoring shots for the game, they're 26, a conversion of less than 
uh, is not going to get you far. So, and we had a forward line of Wright, Stewart, Jones, and Stringer, who are all very capable if it's delivered to them properly and if they're given time and, and it's uh, you know kicked to their advantage. We didn't use any of that. We didn't make make the most of that the way that we entered in with the ball. And I guess at some point the club has to recognise it. We're not the only team in the comp to have this issue with conversion, but surely that's your biggest opportunity to start getting bigger scores and to to work less, um, you know, around the ground during a game. So if, if you can tighten up the conversion, then you're halfway there. And I feel like just little things could be so simply solved. Like every time we seem to get an opportunity, it's 40 metres out on the boundary. Like we need to stop doing that if we're going to be any chance of kicking goals. And it's it's a simple thing in that scoreboard pressure demoralises the opposition. How many times has it been against us where we've got dudded by a side that's kicked, you know, 12 goals one? <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, they can't miss today, right? And it's because there's always the constant pressure of no matter how well you do, they convert. How we work it up the field slowly, 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 and then we turn it over. And what do they do? They just run it down in two possessions and kick the goal, and it just kills you. And you mentioned about not having to work as hard. If you kick a goal, you've got a minute, the ball goes back to the centre, people can reset. You have a breather. If you kick a point, the guy picks the ball out of the bag, and then it's on straight away. So our defenders don't actually get a breather, which means they're getting exposed. Yeah, so we'll move on now to the ugly category. Um, we'll start with the umpire, and we don't normally give the umpires a mention because um, they, they've got a pretty tough job, so we don't normally highlight them. But you mentioned off the top of the pod the, the constant targeting of Zach Merritt and you know no assistance from our team, but also nothing from the umpires. It was, it was a big hit there from um, from their ruckman, and uh, nothing happened. And then you know everyone talked about Toby Green and how clever he was to to tap the ball out of James Stewart's hand. If James Stewart hasn't stepped off the line, it, it's not 50 metres. Surely it's 50 metres. Like, no one seemed to mention that. I think there was a very quick mention from one of the commentators and then that was sort of glazed over and that was it. But um, the Toby Green goal will be, you know, put in a highlights package now for the rest of the time. But it, it just seems like there's some inconsistencies there with the umpire. I mean, we've highlighted two examples, but there's there's many throughout the day. Yes, and then you mentioned the commentary. I thought, you know, like we don't like to talk about the comment, the umpires. You don't like to talk about the commentary, but obviously, being an interstate game, there the majority of Bomber fans probably sat on the couch and had to had to listen to the coverage. Uh, it sounded to me, Mark, like that they were actually in the studio as opposed to at the game. I know since COVID, they, they lots of people have been calling from games from interstate in a studio somewhere, and it looks like. Foxwood is continuing that trend, and it was just a just a couple of things where it was like getting players' names wrong, uh, not really talking about the play, um, talking about some you know erroneous thing that didn't really have any impact at all. Uh, there was an instance where the camera cut to I think it was Lockie Whitfield rubbing his hand, or the trainer rubbing his hand for you know what it seemed like thirty seconds, and they. They couldn't talk about the play. You could hear it going in the background. You could hear the umpire blow the whistle and all that. But the commentators weren't commentating because they were relying on the vision. <laughs> so, yeah, I think if, if you're going to be a organisation called Fox Footy and all you do is football, you should probably be at the game 
and you know get that. I don't you know who who am I to tell Fox Footy how to run their organisation? But I think you know the commentators would probably rather be there. We'd all rather them there, and you know, yeah. Let's let's move on before this devolves any further. I'll just I'll round us out here with the players that got disposal efficiency less than seventy percent. Um, that's obviously been a running thing this year in the ugly category. So Dyson Heppel, unlucky, he was in here by less than one percent, but nonetheless, you're less than seventy percent, you're in the list. So Heppel merit at just a tick over sixty percent. Stringer. 58%, Guelphie at 55%, Andy McGrath at 53%, Sam Draper at 53%, and Harry Jones at just 40%. So those players just need to uh, practice on their kicking and their handballing a little bit better. Just on Jones, 40% from five disposals. Uh, he's had two effective disposals for the game. No marks. What, what more do you need to say? Heat hockey medal votes. I'll start. Five, go to Guelphie. Four to BZT, who has, you know, he's playing like, you know, Steve Silvani there at the, at the moment. Uh, three, Cole Langford. I think he had seven tackles. He's a leading tackle for the game. And I thought uh, his big body having to play in the middle against the Giants one was um, was a good job. Uh, Parrish uh, got a lot of the ball, had six tackles. And uh, Nick Martin, I thought, uh, was okay. I think that last spot was kind of hard to give a vote to. There was lots of players that had between 12 and 16 possessions that all kind of did similar things, but we'll go give one to Ricky. Yeah, so I went five votes to Matt Guelphie. Four votes I go to Darcy Parrish. To be honest, I don't think it was his best game by any means, but I basically just gave him the votes on tackle pressure. Three votes I gave to BZT, who, um, like reiterating your thoughts here, I thought he's, he's been really good again this week. Uh, two votes to Sammy Durham, we tried all day, and one vote to Kyle Langford, who, as you said, played played an important role and, and uh, sort of stepped up to that role. So I think that's enough on the review. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with some club news and a bit of VFL update. <laughs> Sad news to report um, to kick us off here. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the, the, the club announced, I think, yesterday that the unfortunate passing of former Essendon chairman uh, Ray Horsburgh. Um, Ray was obviously a long-standing and passionate Essendon person. Uh, he was a club benefactor. He, he actually was on the board. In, he joined in 2003. And then from 2005, 2009, he actually served as president. So that a pretty pretty important time there under Ray's leadership when the you know the transition of uh, Kevin Sheedy into Matthew Knights there. Um, so it's sad to hear of his passing. Uh, very passionate, Essendon man, and um, yeah, just thoughts to his family and loved ones. We'll move on to the AFLW news now. So we've finalised our AFLW list with the final two spots. So that was um, given to Alex Morecambe and Lily Rose Williamson. So um, Ashley, uh, uh, Eloise Ashley Cooper, sorry, and George Nance Cowan moved to the inactive list recently due to their um, season-ending injuries. Uh, the Nance Corn one, obviously, well publicised during the grand final, um, the ACL injury there. Um, so they're on the inactive list for the moment. So uh, Alex Morecambe, 
was part of our VFLW program, a name that everyone will be familiar with. Uh, premiership player recently, obviously. Top three in the uh, best of fairest the last two years, playing in the, in the defensive role that she plays there. And uh, Lily Rose Williamson comes in as a new player, having uh, played for Victoria under 15 and under 17 level. She's a midfielder. She's only 17 years old, so... Um, she is a younger player who hopefully grows and develops um, on our AFLW list. And I guess these two players, given an opportunity uh, due to some unfortunate circumstances for um, Ashley Cooper and Nance Quorn. But nonetheless, we wish Alex Morecambe and Lily Rose Williamson well. And uh, there's a practice game this week, so they can um, strike their stuff there and put their hand up for round one to be history makers. Yeah, that's it. So uh, disappointing that Ashley Cooper and Nance Gorn are out for the year. They've obviously been two of our senior players in the in the VFLW and two of our better players at that. So that's a big loss to the to the AFLW side in terms of having their performance out on the ground as players. But Alex Morecambe has done, as you mentioned, two top three BNF finishes in the past two years there in the VFLW program, and to give a a younger player, you know a midfielder that we've maybe had a bit of an eye on an opportunity. Uh, it might be a chance, you know, like the pre-season supplementary period we've picked up, Nick Martin, that might be a chance for for Lily Rose to kind of have a similar impact on the um, on the, on the the side there. So, yeah, as you mentioned, I think there's at the hangar this Saturday, you can get along as a practice match against Port Adelaide. And then I think I read in the paper today, Mark, there's moves afoot to get that uh, round one game against Hawthorne at, Marvel. So if that's the case, um, it, that'll be something I think we'll definitely get along to. It, uh, you know, good to see, give the girls a, a big support there and been able to recognise a good VFLW program and launch into the next 150 years of the football club with the girls. Absolutely. We'll move on to the VFL now. So second last game of the year for the VFL side, they played against GWS. It was Essen 15-9-99 to GWS 10-9-69. Pretty even first quarter, pretty even first half, to be honest. And uh, we kicked away a little bit there in the last quarter um, to, to get the win by five goals, which is good. Uh, in terms of stats, we had the better of them with the kicks. We had 17 more kicks, um, handballs. We had plus 20 handballs, marks. We had a few less marks there, 20 less marks. Uh, tackles, 44 to 39. So it wasn't a it wasn't a defensive display or, or game by any means. Um, dominated the hit out, 64 to 11. I think that GWS were a bit underdone in the ruck there. Inside 50s, we had the 58 to their 50. And rebound 50s, 43 to our 37. So pretty even game all up. We just seemed to get the better of them sort of late in the game there, which is good and went on to win by five goals. Yeah, so we'll go through the AFL listed players now there. We've um, got a fair few to go through. So we'll, we'll start with uh, number 10, Aaron Francis. He had the 16 touches, five marks, two tackles. Um, probably been building in the past probably month to this performance there, and it's probably uh, been his best best game there for a little while there, Franger. Uh, Tommy Cutler, 17 disposals, one behind, one tackle. Pearls, 10 disposals, six marks, kicked the goal and had two behinds as well. So it's really starting to uh, to get involved in a bit more of the play, uh, just kind of getting used to the rigours of getting back, the soreness in his body. So I think it's talk that he's probably going to be the VFL again this week there, but maybe might push to an AFL game in the last round of the year. Nick Bryan, 10 disposals, two marks, 
two tackles, 19 hitouts. Kane Baldwin, 10 disposals, three marks, two goals. Pretty good performance. Uh, Alistair Lord, nine disposals, three marks. Zach Reed, nine disposals, four marks, three tackles. Josh Eyre, 11 disposals, three marks, one tackle. Really liking Josh Eyre getting disposal numbers since he's moved back. It was kind of a bit of a starvation corner up forward there, especially early in the year when we were getting absolutely dominated in the VFL. And for him to go back and to actually get some touch and just kind of show what he can do, I think it's been a big confidence boost for him. And it's also coincided with a good run of form for us by having him get the ball in his hand. Yeah, there's been a, a number of games. I feel like he's about to have a breakout game. There's been a number of times where he'll play a pretty good game and then there might be three or four other occasions during that game where he almost takes a big grab or takes, you know, a clunk sort of grab but um, doesn't quite have the confidence to pull them all off. So I think once he gets that, um, he'll go to another level, which is going to be exciting to watch. We'll move on to Braden Ham, 17 disposals, five marks, one behind, one tackle. Andy Phillips was probably best on ground, 16 disposals, seven marks, one goal, one tackle and 44 hitouts. Garrett McDonough, uh, reportedly a little bit untidy by foot again. So if he can clean that up, it'd be a shot to put his hand up. But 17 disposals, five marks, one behind. Cody Brand, 10 disposals and two marks. Um, Bowl reports shut down his van, which was a good job. Patrick Voss, nine disposals, two marks and four tackles. Didn't hit the scoreboard this week. Cam McBride, nine disposals, four marks and one tackle. Alec Waterman uh, was up there amongst the best as well. He had 11 disposals, two marks, kicked four goals and had two tackles. Joe Menzi, 11 disposals, three marks, one goal, one behind and two tackles. And Tom Hurd, nine disposals, one mark, one goal, one behind. So the VFL team, I think one more game to go, uh, Brendan, and then it's, then it's all over for them. So to be honest, I can't remember whether it's this week or next week. I presume it's this week. It's this week. It's... Uh... Sunday game at Windy Hill. Don't ask me who, I've forgotten. <laughs> but uh, I think there is, yeah, I think there's an opportunity to go to the VFL early. I think it's about 12 noon, kind of like it was last week, and then we can um, watch a full game there and then get off to Marvel and watch uh, hopefully a, a big win against the Power. Yeah, I also can't remember who we're playing, but uh, I'm fairly certain it's one of the VFL standalone Sides like a Coburg or something. I want to say Werribee, Mark. I want to say. I don't know why. We'll go with that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, it's Saturday anyway, and you can do the double header. That's all you need to know. Um, All right. Let's take another break, and we'll come back with our 150 year anniversary segments in Don's DNA and Bombers numbers. So for Don's DNA this week, I thought, given that we're playing Port Adelaide at um, Marvel Stadium, I thought I'd take a dive back to the first time that we played them in the Docklands, which was round one in the year 2000, which was a Thursday night, Thursday night football uh, back then that it was getting played as well on March the 9th. So kicked off a pretty famous year for the Bombers and that was the first ever game played at Dockland Stadium or it was then called, uh, Brendan, do you remember what it was first called? I do. I actually went to this game with my family, uh, Colonial Stadium. And I guess for the people who can remember, they got a commemorative pin, right? It was rectangular and it's the largest pin I've ever seen in my life. 
<laughs> I even do this day. I've got it somewhere floating around here at home. I can recall it. It was just large thing, and it was kind of like the image of the actual ground you know, on top of this large rectangular block. You know, it was like three 50-cent pieces put together. That's how big it was. It was just unbelievable. Bigger than a name tag. So it was the first game, obviously, played at a stadium with a roof. Um, unfortunately, the roof had to be left open due to some technical difficulties that they had. Um, but nonetheless, that didn't bother us too much. So Matthew Lloyd was the first one to have a shot at being the first goal scorer at the stadium. Unfortunately, his kick faded and it went through for a behind. So he holds the uh, the mantle of being the first point kicker at the stadium. Michael Long was the first goal scorer after getting a handball from John Barnes and running in and uh, and kicking the first goal. And we kicked a few more after that because we went in at quarter time with a 25-point lead. So um, that was good to kick four goals in that first quarter and keep Port Adelaide goalless in the first quarter. We kicked another seven goals in the second quarter and went in at halftime 51 points up. And uh, in the last quarter, we piled on seven more goals and we ended up winning the game by 94 points. So how's this for a scoreline, if you don't mind? Essendon, 24 goals, 12, 156 to Port Adelaide, eight goals, 14, 62. So as you said, uh, you were there and you were one of 43,000 people there, Brendan. So pretty good crowd on a Thursday night for uh, for the first go around there at uh, Dockland Stadium or Colonial Stadium. And... Vote getters, three votes went to Jason Johnson with 21 disposals. Um, Jason Johnson, just for some context, at the time was playing his 16th, uh, 16th game, their career game. So he was, uh, he was only a young fella, Jason Johnson. And uh, Matty Lloyd got two votes after kicking seven goals. And James Hurd got one vote after having 19 disposals and kicking four goals himself. So... Um, as you go through the list, there's some pretty handy players playing that year as, uh, in that round one game. We've got um, the likes of Adam Ramanaskis, Joe Mercedes, um had 29 disposals, Michael Long, we mentioned, Mark McCurry, Matty Lloyd, Chris Heffernan, uh, Dustin Fletcher still playing at that point, Darren Buick kicked three goals, Paul Barnard, some, some great memories there and a successful start to our time at uh, Marvel Stadium or Dockland Stadium and I guess it's surfaced pretty well over the years. I, I hate to say that we sort of moved away from the MCG as a result of going there, but um, I think that the stadium's been pretty good to us over the years. Yeah, it has. I, I did like how you said uh, Dustin Fletcher still playing at that point. He just went on to play for another 15 years, which is crazy when you think about it. But I remember I was we sat at the at the train station end. What is it? The, the Lloyd end of the ground, as, the, as it's called there. So we sat behind the goals. It was me, my two brothers, my mum and dad and my grandparents. It was a big family thing to go there. And it was the end where Long actually kicked that goal. So I can remember very vividly him him kicking that goal. Uh, yes, yeah, so him kicking the goal, the pin, and us absolutely smashing Port Adelaide. And there was a fantastic start because Port Adelaide are a good side. And you mentioned the man to get the one vote there, Jay Hurd. That was his first game back for what felt like three years since he since he won the Brownlow in 96. He obviously played games in between there, but yeah, it was just so great to have him back. He was captain, you know, I've had the number five on the back. I was uh, might have even had the face painted if, if there. So, um, yeah, it was a really big occasion there. Just people wanted to go to experience a new ground, to experience what it would be under a roof, and then to find out that <laughs> the roof was um, actually – 
open because it, it had broken. Uh, but now I'm not sure if this is correct, but I'm pretty sure it is. This was the first game of football at Colonial Stadium, Dockland Stadium, whatever. But it wasn't the first event. Mark, can you recall what the first event at the stadium was? Oh, I give me. A, is it a sporting event? It's not a sporting event. Mm. Well, I might be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I I actually couldn't tell you. I'm thinking maybe it's some sort of concert, but then I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, no, oh, you're right. It is a musical act. It was a concert. I'll give you the tip. Is a as a female. Uh, probably not a genre you and I frequent and too often. Solo artist. No. Nah. I've got nah. nothing. Oh, you uh, have to give what, it to me. what have I said? Babs. Does that help? I've got nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it was it was Mecca Streisand herself, Barbara Streisand, I'm pretty sure. Oh, right. Now, now what I'm going to say is, I'm going to be completely wrong on this, and we're going to be mocked mercilessly. But I'm pretty sure uh, it was uh, by Barbara Streisand, and that was a big, big joke at the time. It's funny how these things stick with you. I'm 32, and I remember back to a 10-year-old about uh, Barbara Streisand, about how this is going to this primo event, and they couldn't even get football to be the number one tenant of it at the time. And then you know, and then there's issues because they had to. The first time they actually brought the stadium in and out, and there was it damaged the turf, and because they hadn't planned it properly, and had to get the turf replaced, and all the all the trials and tribulations of a new stadium there in the early years. There, they did have some issues there with the turf, and um, it's a lot better now. Um, but there was quite a number of years where they had issues with the divots in the turf and um, chunks getting taken out of it and it being real sandy underneath and players yeah. complaining about how hard it was and that being attributed to a car park being under it and all sorts of stuff. So um, then, you know, talking about which way the ground was orientated so that whether the grass grew. So they've gone through some some stuff there and, you know, 22 years later, they're uh, doing a fairly significant redevelopment there. And when you go there now, it's uh, half of it's been torn down and um, they're upgrading with all sorts of, bars and restaurants and new facade and new lighting and all that sort of stuff. So hopefully transforms next year into, into something um, a little bit different and uh, more appealing again. Now, funnily enough, there is an actual, another incident connection to the ground that we haven't talked about. Um, the actual architect that designed the ground was a bloke by the name, I'm pretty sure, Daryl Jackson. And Daryl was an incident board member. Uh, and he's obviously an architect by trade. And he, he designed the ground, and he actually also designed the hangar. So board member designed two of the most impressive facilities in the game. And, um, yeah, and then we managed to play the first game there. and We were the number one tenant. We still are the number one tenant, really. And, um, yeah, we've had a, had a lot of good wins there, a few, a few poor losses. Uh, really, it's led to us playing a really – when we play our best, it's at the at the dome, you know, where it's like fast paced, up and down, up and down. Um, yeah, and that's probably you mentioned. Maybe we struggled a little bit having moved away from the MCG there, but um, yeah, that's good. Now, I mentioned the dome. Can you give me all the names of the ground? Now, this, we're completely going sidetrack here, but this is the best part of. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, the the inaugural name was Dockland Stadium before it was before it was branded. 
that... Colonial's, Colonial Stadium was uh, was the first one there. There's the Telstra Dome. That's was it. that directly after Colonial Stadium, Telstra Dome? I'm pretty sure yeah. it was. Yep. Um, we've obviously had Eddie Hat Stadium in yes. there. Now we've got Marvel Stadium. They're the two most recent ones. I feel like I've missed one between maybe Telstra and Eddie Had. I think I was thinking that too, but I actually don't think you have missed one. There's a gut feel. It just seems Eddie Had seems still pretty recent, and Telstra Drone feels so far away. Right? But it's funny how I just said the dome. <laughs> it's one of those things that just comes, you don't really think about it. Oh, it definitely took um, it took a number of years, I think, for everyone to move on from calling it the Telstra Dome to when it was Eddie Had, and now we still call it Eddie Had now when it's called Marvel. It's, it takes a few years to to adjust, but um, yeah, it's uh, it has served us well, and yeah, as much as it's been kind of uh, bad to go away from the MCG a little bit, um, yeah, I guess it's been it's been good that there's a lot of good memories housed in that as well for Essendon fans. A lot of other clubs that don't have as nicer connection with um with eddie had and the mcg or marvel and the mcg and um yeah thankfully we've got some good memories of both so that's uh that's something to take um okay well that's probably enough on (laughs) marvel stadium (laughs) we won't move into bombers numbers now so this week you're going to tell us about the number 21 and number 44 guernsey so um maybe kick us off with number 21 bill busbridge so bill busbridge played for the bombers from 1904 to 1912, he's actually one of the early champions of the football club. Mark, believe it or not, he was ranked in the Champions of Essendon at number 14 uh, there. So number 15 was Barry Davis, who's in the team of the century. So it just shows you how highly the regard he was held in at the club and the impact that he had. Um, He was essentially the best centre-half back in the game during his time. And then obviously... At that time, you'd also the defender would also kind of rotate into the ruck. Uh, he was represented Victoria at the very first uh, state carnival, which was known as the Australasian Championships, and he played in the nineteen eleven premiership side where we knocked off Collingwood, which is uh, <laughs> good for him. Unfortunately, he uh, he injured his he's injured his knee uh, the following year and had to retire early. So only the 103 games and the 32 goals, but um, obviously had a very good playing career at Essendon and then went on to coach Geelong in the uh, VFA, as it was then, and became a committeeman at the Cats. Move on to the next player, which was... Um, I'm going to get his name wrong here. I've got you wrong with it. <laughs> Sek Ruddle. So, I wasn't sure how Sek was pronounced. It's an unusual spelling. I'll let you go. <laughs> it might have been Cecil. I think it might be short for Cecil, uh, I think. But he played from the Bombers from 1940 to 1949. So pretty good, pretty good era for the for the club. Uh, played predominantly as a fullback. Uh, played in the 42 and 46 premierships and was actually close to best on in the 46 grand final. Played the 122 games. No goals, as you would expect from a from a fullback back then. Uh, missed all the forty four season when he was in Darwin as part of the RAF, and after leaving the Bombers, he went on to have a career in the, in the VFA. 
We'll move on to Jeff Pryor. So Jeff played from 65 to 74, 137 games, eight goals. Uh, defender, again, uh, was one of the best players on the ground in his first season in the 65 Premiership over St Kilda. Uh, kind of more of a, of, a, of a dour player, always kept his uh, opponents in check, played both centre-half back uh, but primarily at full-back. Uh, was runner-up in the best and fairest on three occasions there. So to be a best and fairest player in, you know, almost runner-up on three times shows you the quality that he was. Speaking of quality, the next player up here is Ken Fletcher. That's right. So Ken played from 67 to 80, 264 games, 55 goals. I think most people these days probably know Ken as Dustin's dad, but Dustin, that's right. But Ken, in his own right, had a fantastic career. He was captain of the club, uh, won a best and fairest in 1978, um, had, a, had a long and distinguished career post-football coaching, uh, Penley Essendon Grammar, uh, which was obviously a pathway for a lot of uh, Essendon footballers into the side. So his connection with the club has, has been long. And then Dustin and Ken hold the record for the most games father-son. What's that? 664. So <laughs> I don't think anyone's taken that down. <laughs> no, it's a, that's a good run. And uh, next up is Dean Wallace. Obviously, uh, a player of the modern era and, and kind of close to our hearts there, Mark. Played from 87 to 2001. Obviously, is the dual premiership player being 1993 and 2000. Played 127 games, 42 goals. Uh, very strong physical player. Played predominantly as a defender. I think the... the the moment that automatically I think of comes to me is in the 93 grand final where he knocked out um, Mill Hanna, absolutely took him over. And then obviously post-playing uh, post career at Essendon went on to have uh, a role in administration at St Kilda, Fremantle, and of course at the Bombers there. And the current wearer of the number 21 Guernsey is none other obviously than the captain, Dyson Heppel. So, He's uh, obviously had a, a, a great career himself at Essendon. And, um, a lot of talk about what he'll do next at the moment, whether he'll continue on at Essendon or whether he'll take up opportunities that might get thrown his way elsewhere. So um, been a great servant in the club, regardless of what he chooses to do. So uh, hopefully he can finish off this year strongly and uh, and put his name name up again. I hope, I hope he stays, Rod. You know, he's obviously being a captain. He's... He is an Essendon person, you know, grew up a bomber, stayed through the tough times, uh, has been captain of the club. Um, yeah, there's always never is a bad word spoken about him in terms of his leadership and how he treats people and, you know, how he's carried himself. Um, so they've done a lot of good work for charity over his time as well. Obviously had the connection with his brother Aaron, who was, you know, the captain and best player of the VFL side for a, a number of years there. So, yeah, I would think, you know, whatever arrangement he comes, if he decides to leave, he goes with our, our blessing. Yeah, blessing doesn't mean much, but <laughs> we see him on his way. But, yeah, I would love love for him to be able to be a one-club player. And I think that's something really special about Aussie rules, uh, to be a one-club player. 
And, you know, he's, he's best and fairest winner as well, Dyson. He's an All-Australian. So the kind of the legacy that you get, you know, for the next 40, 50 years of your life, uh, yeah, it'd be pretty pretty good to see him stay a bomber. But, Mark, we've diverged a little bit here, so I think we'll do it again. Between Dean Wallace, who retired in 01, and Dyson Heppel, who started, you know, I think it was 2010, I think his first year was. There were three players that have won the 21 for the Bombers. Now, you know all these three players. Can you tell me who they are? Funny you asked me this because I was I was thinking that as I looked at the names on the sheet and I saw Dean Wallace and Dyson Heppel, I thought Dyson Heppel didn't take the Guernsey directly from Dean Wallace. So I, and I'm not sure who was in between. Oh. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a a bit of a guess here. Well, well, I'll give you the tease. The first, the one that took after him, directly after Wallace, played 81 games for the footy club and he was started the Bombers and then was traded and finished his career at Hawthorne. Was a defender. Yeah, uh, his name, his name escapes me. It wasn't, um, I'm thinking Aaron Henneman, but it wasn't. It was... um, Danny Jacobs. Danny Jacobs, that's it. Okay, now number... Number two, I think, is a pretty obvious one. Vice said the best dreadlocks in the history of the game, you would say. Oh, Courtney Johns, <laughs> the, length, the, the length of the Flemington straight. And then the next guy, he only played 11 games for the club, but actually his contribution post-playing career in terms of coaching and player welfare was involved in the VFL and AFL program for quite a while, it's actually Hayden Skipworth. I don't know, he's now currently at Collingwood there, but he, you hear, you hear a lot of the boys talk about what he was able to do for them during a, a you know, pretty tough period of being someone to have a friendly face, shoulder to lean on, you know, someone to speak to. So, like I said, only 11 games, but I thought it was worth mentioning his contribution to the Bombers as well. We'll move on to the number 44 Guernsey now, and we'll start off with Justin Madden. So, Justin, most people will uh, remember, was a champion player for Carlton, but obviously started his career uh, with the Bombers there. He was one of the Bombers. He's the, he's the brother of Simon. Played the two years, 45 games. So, from 1980 to 1982, and then left Essendon for opportunity there, but still managed the 45 games in, what, two, three years. And, you know, 83, 84, 85 could have been you know, a multiple premiership player alongside his brother, but obviously went on to be a multiple premiership player himself with the Blues there. And I don't really want to talk about Carlton, so we'll move on. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. So we'll move on to uh, Sean McKernan. Another another brother from a famous uh, thing there, Sean McKernan, uh, the brother of Corey, uh, played for the Bombers from 2015 to 2020, 53 games, 51 goals. Essentially, goal a game, Mark. Uh, key forward, ruck, undersized. Always had a happy snack of Dobbinham off one step. It was a very accurate kick when he didn't have time to think. I think sometimes he got a bit muddled there, but he was, I know, and I think if I recall correctly, he might have also this year we had the COVID top ups and he signed on to be one of the top ups if we were decimated by COVID. 
Was it was was that with us or was that with Melbourne? Or? That was definitely with us because Zaharaka signed on for the D's. I oh, did too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, handy player, Sean McKernan, in his time. He served us well, I think. Yeah, he did. And, you know, talk about a bloke that was did it at both uh, AFL level and VFL level and very, very good career. They obviously went on to play for St Kilda and obviously started at, at Adelaide there. So uh, long career and he should be pretty proud of what he was able to do in the game. Still running around for Tull Marine as well in the ADFL. So um, still going strong, Sean McKernan, which is good. And we don't have a current number 44, so maybe that Guernsey can be reserved for uh, one of these people who we're starting to get linked with now for uh, people that might come to the club in the off-season. We've got a free Guernsey for anyone that wants to come over. So, (laughs) Um, All right, let's take... uh, We've we've gone around in circles a little bit here in this segment and it's drawn out a little bit, but let's take a break and come back to preview uh, the game against the Power. PM Marvel Stadium, our favourite time slot, Brendan. Um, we'll jump straight into the injuries. So it's uh, Jai Caldwell with his calf. It's still a couple of weeks, so that's probably him done for the year. Dylan Shields, similar with a hamstring. Nick Cox, Devin Smith, and Tex Wanganin, we know, are all out for the season. Um, and Port Adelaide's injury list there. Tom Clurie out for the season. Lockie Jones out for the season. Scott Lysette with a shoulder. Not sure where he's at. And then uh, Jake Pacini with the knee is out for the season as well. So both clubs with sort of limited injury lists and um, and still decent teams on paper to pick from. So I guess we'll jump in straight into that. Yeah, so I guess we'll kind of maybe start with Port Adelaide's back line there. And the first bloke kind of stands out there, you know, an all-Australian player has dominated us in the past and is a type of player that we struggle against is Alir Alir. Uh, that intercepting player that kind of marks everything because of our poor entries inside 50, uh, yeah, is something that we've really struggled with. Uh, you think Pete is going to be the matchup there in terms of his height and mobility? I think they might. I think Captain Tom Jonas might be the guy that goes to right because he normally takes the number one and they like to keep a leer leer kind of almost not playing on someone as a loose. So. We've got James Stewart there who can do a role, but he might be needed down the other end. Uh, we've got, you know, maybe have Harry Jones keeps the spot. Maybe we just have him tag Aaliyah and have Aaliyah lead him to the ball almost. And that's how he gets involved in the game. Um, yeah, not sure. Not sure. He'll be a difficult matchup and we'll have to really be mindful of not letting him do what he wants because it'll be kind of like what we like to do with Ridley, kind of get him free, take the mark, intercept, move the ball forward. Uh, So we kind of really want to avoid his aerial presence. And then they've got a pretty handy kind of mid-sized crew, Ryan Burton, Dan Houston, Darcy Byrne-Jones. So I've got probably thinking maybe Nick Martin or Ryan Burton just because Burton's really good in the air. Uh, Dan Houston is, I think he's cut us up a couple times as that real kind of Daniel Rich-style, aggressive halfback that gets a lot of possession, metres game. So have Guelph locked down on him. And Darcy Byrne-Jones plays a bit taller, is a pretty strong, tough bugger. So uh, maybe Perko's the man to physically go with him. And Byrne-Jones locks to get up the green and get into midfield a little bit. So maybe 
Perko can follow him in there and play in the guts as well. You know, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, as you said, yeah, Perkins on on Jones. If Perkins is fit, as we spoke about earlier, then uh, yeah, that would be quite a good matchup. Uh, we'll move on to the midfield. So Travis Polk, inside outside style midfielder, maybe good education for Ben Hobbs. It's obviously a massive task, but um, Benny Hobbs has been going all right and he's been showing a lot of endeavour and and uh, commitment to the to the cause and the contest. So uh, he's been one of the few that could hold his head up high throughout the season and um, yeah, could be a good educational experience to go to Travis Boker, obviously an experienced um, midfielder. Uh, on to Willem Drew, who's a less experienced midfielder for them on the inside, but he's developed quite a lot even through this year. So um, we've got Darcy Parrish's name next to him and Darcy should have him well and truly covered for, for um, you know, experience at the contest there. And um, we've kind of mentioned that you know he had a good game on the weekend, but not his best game. Darcy and can maybe tidy up his disposal a bit and go to another level. So, good opportunity for him to maybe get off the chain a little bit if that's the case, and make Willem a, a bit more accountable for him rather than the other way. Um, Ollie Wines, obviously Brownlow medalist last year, inside mid, tough as nails, um, good disposal. Kyle Langford got the size definitely to go with him and maybe expose him a little bit around the ground with his marking power around the ground. Um, so that, that is a potential matchup there. Sam Pal Pepper, a player that uh, as a midfielder got linked to us for a number of years and would have been nice to have, have gotten him because he's quite explosive and, and a real bull. Um, it's been something that we've missed, but the closest thing that we've got is probably Jake Stringer um, to go head to head strength wise. That would actually be quite an intriguing battle to watch um, around the ground. Both, both players, not overly defensive, uh, I think it's fair to say. So um, it would be, whoever was most accountable, I think, would come out on top uh, with that contest. But that, that would be quite the sight to see those two guys go head-to-head. Yeah, I really like your suggestion of Hobbs on Boak. I know uh, Hobbs has mentioned in the past that Travis Boak is actually a guy that he tried to model his game on. Uh, so that would be a good a good thing for Hobbs. He just kind of get that experience playing on someone he idolises and tries to base his game upon. And... If you're going to try and base a game upon someone, Travis Bike's a pretty good one to do because he's been a very good player for a long time. Uh, Willem Drew, he's a real coalface player. He's obviously a bit more of a bigger body than Parrish, but Parrish has proven over the journey to be, you know, his size doesn't hold him back in terms of winning the contest. And, you know, if you want to have your best contest player against the oppositions, that's what we'll do. And I really like Stringer on Pal Pepper, as you mentioned. <laughs> Not too much running the other way with those two there, but um, it'd be good to see. Uh, those two, if they do match up, just two big bulls bashing into each other, trying to get the ball out of the front of the contest, kicking it deep inside 50. And if you recall correctly, last time we played Port Adelaide, Mark, Sam Power took it upon himself to uh, bump a number of our players there. So hopefully um, maybe Jakey or someone else can get a bit of give him some of his own medicine there and maybe put some physical pressure on him. And I mentioned before, we've got to stop being the bullied and start being the bullies. And the best way to do that is to go to the opposition's biggest, toughest player and really make them feel uncomfortable. Move on to their forward brigade now, who can also rotate through the midfield, but probably most of their minutes is spent um, probably more forward than mid, I guess. And the, the three guys here that I'm about to lose 
least um, Xavier Dersma, Zach Bardas and Connor Rosie are pretty much the future of, of Port Adelaide. They're three very handy young players and, and very talented young players as well. So um, Dersma maybe goes to Durham. I think that would be a good matchup. I think Dersma is... He probably likes to get it more where you, you sort of get on the outside and uh, and kick a bit of a cheeky goal and carry on a bit about it. So I think that Durham would be a good option to, to shut that down and hopefully put the bows away and the arrows away. Uh, would be good. Zach Butters. Zach Butters is, if he can keep injury free, he's the kind of player who's got the potential in the next two or three years to be one of the better players in the comp. Um, so I think our best player is probably Zach Merritt. So probably that's a that's a logical choice to go to go there with. Um, obviously, when he rests forward, we're going to have to have someone, you know, pretty on the ball to to keep him down. Whether that's um, you know a Jake Kelly or someone like that who's holding him, holding him, hopefully to to not a lot of uh, ball ball movement. And then Connor Rosie hurt his knee a little bit last weekend against Richmond, but uh, if he's fit and firing to go, maybe that's Andy McGrath. Um, got the tank to run with him. Might get a little bit exposed height-wise. Uh, Connor Rosie probably plays a little bit taller, but um, definitely has the tank to go with him. And McGrath obviously can win his own footy, so he's got that advantage. So uh, that's going to be an interesting battle because those three young guys from Port are, are pretty dangerous. And we'll move on to their key forwards. It's Obviously, Charlie Dixon is their big key forward. Um, Todd Marshall missed last week with the health and safety protocol, so... You think he'll come back in? And, and Mitch Georgiatis has actually dropped to the sandful there. And I actually quite rate Georgiatis there. And if he, you mentioned, Mark, about the 44 being empty there, if he was uh, didn't want to play Port Adelaide anymore, I'd happily take him at the Bombers. Um, Dixon, I think the matchup you automatically think is Laverde, uh, just because of the physical size. But um, I think this might be an opportunity with BZT in some good form to send him to Dixon and see how he goes. He's played on Larky. He's played on a number of good players recently, BZT, as his form's kind of progressed over the past month. And that maybe gives Lav a bit of a break, you know, because whilst Laverde is our biggest and strongest guy, he's probably given up 15 kilos and 10 centimetres of Dixon. So uh, maybe start for him to start playing on players a bit more his own size. Now, if the other key forward, say Marshall's the one that plays, you probably think it's going to be whoever doesn't play on Dixon. I wouldn't mind maybe we throw stuff around a little bit. Could you play Zach Reed? You know, could you bring you know him in, play a different role? Does James Stewart go down there? You know, just change Laverty plays somewhere else. I don't know. I think Jordan Ridley has done jobs like I played on Aaron Norton. So I think the big one is how do we deal with Dixon? And then the other one's going to be, you know, just maybe blooding a couple people on Marshall. And then what happened is one of them gets on top, laves the security blanket that we throw back to try and quell. What do you think, Mark? Yeah, I like that idea. And I'm in my mind, I'm somehow trying to squeeze Aaron Francis into that somehow. And I know that he's not the big, tall matchup. He's probably more playoff halfback and create, but... We've seen him in the VFL go back to the back line, which is where he naturally is, plays his best footy. And he's built into some good form over the last few weeks, um, coming back from you know, a pretty low base there at one point. He's, he's gotten it back together. So I'd really love to see Aaron Francis giving it a go. And I know that you've spoken about the same thing as well and, and would like to see that. So 
it probably doesn't work 100% with what you've just described. We're trying to match up on Marshall, but and I'm not sure how we squeeze that, but whether that is, you know, we do bring back, um, you know, Zach Reed and we bring back Francis. I, I guess someone's got to go out of the side to be able to do that or shuffle around in the side to do that. Um, but that would be something good to see somehow to get uh, Aaron back into the side. Look, I don't, I don't know about Franger there. He's out of contract. There's talks that, you know, the club have, you know, thinking about offering him a deal and he's more thinking about maybe going elsewhere to actually get a game because he thinks he's kind of stuck at VFL level. And his best spot's in the back line there. And I guess he kind of is when you talk about Laverty, BZT, Reed, Brand, Kelly, Ridley. You know, so, so a lot of play there. But I think if we had two key position defenders, we've talked a lot, Mark, about... Cox and Reed being the fullbacks and halfback combo. I think with BZT coming on, if you had BZT and Reed, two legit 195-centimetre-plus key defenders, it opens up a whole wide options of what you actually do with the back line, where do guys play. You know, does Ridley stay in the back line or does he play up on a wing? Right? Does that mean we play – if that we decide to do that? That's Francis. That's his spot. He can go back and play his spot in the back line. I still think, you know, and I think all the evidence has gone the other way, but I think the player that Mason Redmond has become this year, I think is still in Aaron Francis. I think that can be, they two can be our two halfbacks. Right? I've, I've been a big fan of Francis, always have, and I probably always will be, right? But I think there's a player in there of immense talent, and it just hasn't worked out for us. Um, and if he does leave us, I hope it works out for him at another club. But, you know, lots of questions when probably we're forecasting a couple episodes into the future in terms of changes at the end of the season there. But this is an opportunity for us, two games to go, as I mentioned, play some guys who are young, give them a taste, change some things up, talk about not having, you know, defensive player or a ball in the midfield. Why don't we play Laverde there? Just give it a crack. You know, who knows how he goes against a Willem Drew, you know, or an Ollie Wines or something like that. You just, I think this is the time now for a couple of weeks to go to start moving some things around to have a look at some different things come the off-season. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, when, when you've got nothing to play for in terms of finals or anything like that, then you've got to still take some positive and some advantage out of those games. And I think, yeah, learning something about some players on your list who you may be not 100% sure on in certain spots or at all, I think is is the logical thing to do. So um, 100% agree there. In terms of ins and outs this week, um, we spoke about Harry Jones earlier, um, just didn't have an impact last week or the last few weeks. So um, I think we need to give Jones a rest, get him back into the VFL, get him. Uh, he's got. We've got one more game of VFL, um, so it wouldn't be good to do it next week because it means that he, he loses the opportunity to play anywhere. So this week he's got an opportunity to go back to the VFL and and uh, get a bit of confidence. So I think need to reward whoever's in form in the VFL and the the next logical. We don't. I guess we do kind of have someone like the like, and that's Kane Baldwin. And he's recently come back from injury, but he hasn't been too bad since coming back. So I think he's done enough over this year to earn a call up and to get a couple of games at the end of the year to to show 
what he's got back at the level as well after having gone and learned his craft a bit. The other option is you're taking a tall player out. You need to bring, you know, Brian or a Phillips in. We spoke during the, the review earlier in this episode that Sam Draper plays his best footy when he's got as a ruck pair and he's got someone else to, to lean on as well. So when he's not the solo ruckman. So um, I'd like to see somehow Brian or Phillips brought back into that side. Phillips was probably best on ground last week. Brian's probably been was probably best on ground the week before. So uh, both are in form and, and deserve a call up as well. So we need to reward form, I guess. So yeah, Jones out, Brian, Phillips or Baldwin in. Um, what else have we got for the ins and outs? Yeah, well, I really like that suggestion, Mark. And there's, and there's thinking about, you know, blooding young players. Probably you could – I would like Brian over Phyllis, even though Phyllis is probably a bit better at the moment, a better prepared, obviously, being a senior player. And Kane Ball in there. So maybe, as harsh as it sounds, maybe you drop Stewart and play Baldwin for the last two weeks, right? So it's, you know, Baldwin gets that touch. It, it, we kind of work out something this – Brian Draper combo. I've said it. I've said it in the past, and I'll say it again. I actually think if they work as a combo, it's going to be Brian as the ruckman and Draper as a key position player. He's proven drapes to have been proved his goal kicking. He's improved his marking. I think he could be a really dangerous dynamic player inside fifty, right, with his leap and his excitement. You know, I, you can't tell me. With more football, he can be as good a forward as Carl Hooker was for us. Guy who also brought a lot of excitement and celebration, strong marking, and that allows other forwards to kind of get the number two. And imagine Peter Wright if he didn't have to play two-on-one, three-on-one every week, you know? So that's something I saw exciting. Uh, another bloke we talked about earlier is probably Will Snelling. Is he fit? Is he not fit? Same goes with... Archie Perkins, is he fit? Is he not fit? Um, we've got here maybe bring Tommy Cutler in, but I guess if that's if we see him playing on next year, I'm not sure. If you're going to play Cutler, you might as well play Francis, as we mentioned earlier. I think there's more upside in potentially Francis doing something. Uh, and then if you dropped Perkins, I don't know who you bring in. Would you bring in... Probably the bloke that's in form is Alec Waterman, but is he going to be a long-term player for us? Not sure. So do you say maybe Jai Menzi, he brings him in? Or do we go something real left field and, and maybe blood, maybe like a Tom Hurd or someone like that? Not sure. Yeah, I, I like the idea of Menzi, to be honest. He, he showed a bit the other week when he came on as a sub and proved his worth in the in the you know, basically 25% game time that he had available to him and um, hasn't done a lot wrong at BFL level or even at sample level either. So um, he, I think that, yeah, given that Perkins hasn't really been in form of late and looks to be labouring a little bit maybe with either fitness or injury, I think it's logical to see what men's he's got. You've got nothing to lose. Like, who cares if we lose another game? Who cares if we lose by two goals or, you know, 12 goals? It doesn't really matter at this point. So... Um, I think the opportunity to find out what you've got with a few players um, is worth it. So, yeah, I think Menzi, Menzi for Perkins is, is probably not a bad idea that you've thrown out. And the inclusion of a Brian or a Baldwin or a Menzies isn't going to cost us the game. 
right? They're not going to be the reasons why we win and the reasons why we lose, you know? It's going to be other players and other reasons why. So playing a couple of young kids to give them a taste and development, I think, is 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 smart. You know, maybe another option could be Massimo. I know we, when he went back to the VFL, they threw him forward there to see what he had. Uh, maybe they decide we're going to give him a couple games at AFL level as a small forward. Maybe that's maybe that's the go. I'm not sure. Um, then we're probably may, maybe looking to be a bit a bit more ruthless with some of the senior players. Maybe after the weekend, they've had the coaches have had enough and they got to make a stand and maybe drop drop a big name that hasn't been performing. Would, would we be ballsy enough to say? Maybe Jake Stringer, you're out. You haven't worked hard the other way, or you know, you know. There's there's lots of other names there that you know. Jordan Ridley. Now, I don't think either of those things are happening, right? But uh, is this something the coaches will consider in terms of putting a shot across some senior players' bowels to give them really fire them up in terms of the transition that's obviously going to happen into next year? Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that's probably not a bad option. So I think that the logical ones are the ones we've listed is, is Jones and Snelling. Perkins maybe nearly into that Snelling category with his form and his fitness. Um, and then, yeah, maybe maybe one of one of the more senior players just to, just to send the message that, uh, you know, we're not just picking the low-hanging fruit. Like if you're, if you're not doing your role, then you'll be out the side and someone else will be given an opportunity. I think it's something that the club hasn't historically done in recent times, uh, so I'm not going to expect it, but you never know. Well, that's why I'm really hesitant to even suggest it because you're not going to drop good players, but especially Essen is not going to drop good players because it just never never happens, right? So, yeah, I think there was opportunities earlier in the year for, for guys who were maybe being recidivists in certain areas in terms of defensive pressure, and they obviously... Um, kept getting games and have turned their form around. So, yeah. So we're coming off a pretty low base here, Brendan. Obviously, the, the review at the start of this pod the episode was, you know, pretty pretty downcast. But um, if you margin or result aside, if you, if you could take one thing out of this game, what is it that you want to see? Do you want to see – is it that you want to see a, a certain tackle number reached or – do you want to see, uh, you know, a certain player given given an opportunity in, in another role? Um, you know, do you want to see a certain crowd number turn up to to support to support the team? What what what's one thing that you'd like to see come the end of the weekend? I think we've covered a number of them, and a number of these are going to be my personal biases. <laughs> we talked about Laverde in the guts. That's something I would like to see. Uh, I would like to see us play two. Tall key defenders. I'd love Aaron Francis to become the superstar that I believe he can be, but I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in two weeks. Um, I just want, and I think you'll agree with this, Mark, a more ruthless edge to the football club. Now, what that actually entails in terms of that, that is that selection. That is blokes hunting the opposition. That is tackles. That is being physical, throwing the first punch, you know, all those types of things. I would like to see a lot more of that. We talk about in our Heath Hocking medal votes that, you know, we obviously talk about performance, but some of the other criteria that we give is based upon 
teamwork, you know, playing your role. And one of the ones in particular is physicality. Because I and we've highlighted that in particular because we lack it so much. Right. And I would love for that to be the case. And I want it to be consistent across the four quarters, week in, week out. You know? I don't know where what form that takes, I'm not sure. But I don't I don't want it to be a case where we have a have a poor performance like we did against Sydney, the media comes on us, then the next week we fire up, and then when the media pressure has gone away, we just go back to the status quo. Right? It's got to be okay. We do it now all the time. Look at that. We. It's such a sad reflection that we every time we have to talk about it, we've got to go back to two thousand. Right? And the game has changed, and all that type of thing has changed. But that was a ruthless side, and. Hardwick, Solomon, the Johnsons, Paul Barnard, Dean Wallace, who we mentioned earlier, a ruthless edge, right? Didn't want to get beat by their opponent, right? I, yes, overstepped the line a couple of times, but just had a fire within them to to win. And that's what I want. And can that happen in the space of one week? No. Can that happen over a preseason? No. Maybe it's just... Blokes have the killer within them, and you can't teach it. Right? And you got to draft or recruit a couple of those blokes who maybe aren't as polished or as good as others, but they want to win. Right? And that's what I think everyone listening to this podcast wants. We want this football club to win. <laughs> I don't think I can finish it any better than that. So I, I think that's probably a good place to leave this episode and – Hopefully that's what happens on the weekend and we, we do get a win and get some enjoyment in the last couple of weeks. So with that, uh, go Dons. Go Bombers.